It's good to be here this morning. I feel it's a little bit like home. I spent four years here or across the road, or I guess it was behind the church, teaching here. Um, but I also just feel at home here because there's so many people here I know and, um, yeah, enjoy. I was asked to give a circuit message, and the title I was given was Biblic, Passing on Biblical Values to Our Children and to the Generations to Come. I'm blessed to stand here this morning and see a church that believes in that and has passed it on to your children and um, have believed in, yeah, I guess a wedding like yesterday. Um, yeah, a couple come together um, whose desire is to serve God and to follow God's values, um, biblical values. I'd like to open up with three comments, or maybe, um, yeah. First one is, this was a topic assigned to me. I know you I heard that already. And the second one is, because this topic puts a bullseye on my family, I chose to go to the Bible for the source. Um, and hopefully I'm not being, bringing in too many of my opinions, but we'll be looking at what the Bible says about this topic of passing on biblical values to our children. And the third is, passing on biblical values, values is not just for parents. You know that? Not just passing on to our children, but it's for everybody in the church. I believe the church is responsible for this as much as parents are. Um, in the chapter here, it does talk about fathers, and specifically fathers passing on to their children. But I think in general, I think we need to understand this as something that you as a church have a responsibility to pass on to the next generation and to generations following biblical values, things from the Word of God. And I want to open up with the question, is there anything much more important than this? Think about that a little bit. You're going to go to work tomorrow, probably, a lot of you, or work at home, or do whatever you're doing, and you're going to be focused in what you're doing, but is there anything much more important in your responsibility here as a Christian than to pass on the values that you've been given, the biblical values from the Word of God? I don't think there is much. Uh, we could argue that probably a bit, but I think it has got to be one of the highest responsibilities um, for us as a church and also for parents and families. I'd like to open up with a story. Maybe I should mention before I do this, um, we'll be using Psalm 78 as a text passage and probably be spending most of our time this morning in Psalm 78. Interesting passage, a wonderful passage written by Asa, and we'll talk a little bit more about um, the history of that or about Asa and what he wrote there. But before we go into that, I'd like to tell you a story, a story you may have heard before from the Word of God found in 1 Samuel. And if you'd like, you can turn with me to 1 Samuel. We meet a man by the name of Eli. Interesting character. And I don't know how you visualize Eli, and maybe my mind gets a little, um, starts getting a little skewed when I think of Eli, but I picture him as a really big man. I think the Bible tells you that. I also picture him as a very gentle giant, a kind-hearted, godly, loving serving man who really wanted to do what's right. I don't know if I'm wrong in that, but that's how I've always pictured him, and I guess I will continue to picture him. Maybe I'll give you that picture. You see in chapter 1, Eli's interaction with Hannah, um, and, and I think you can probably kind of see that in Eli in, the, in that first chapter. And then chapter 2, you have Hannah's prayer. And then in chapter 2, verse 12, we meet Eli's sons, and they're a disaster. Um, Eli's sons were wicked men, it says, and they had no regard for the Lord. 
And there was all kinds of different wickedness. And one of the wickedness, wicked things they did was when they would have a pot of cooking pot of meat, they as priests had the opportunity to put their fork into the meat. I don't know what kind of meat it was, but it's probably some really good meat. And they could pull out a forkful. Um, and the Bible says they were supposed to do that when it was cooked really well. So you don't pull out too much. You know, it's really tender and you only get a little bit. But they would always dig in when it was full and they would push everybody away and say, or when it was, still wasn't hot and they'd get a big chunk out. Just bullies pushing their weight around, getting what they wanted to. Um, chapter 2, verses 22 to 25, we hear Eli is confronted with his children and his boys. And this is what it said there. Now Eli was very old and heard all that his sons did and all that Israel, unto all Israel, and how they lay with the women that assembled at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. And he said unto them, Why do you do such things? For I hear of your evil dealings by all these people. Nay, my sons, for it is not good report that I hear. Ye make the Lord's people to transgress. If one man sin against another, the judge shall judge. Anyways, and he goes on talking to his sons about their problem. And he should do that. All good dads should do that. All good parents should do that. But the problem comes in verse 29. And this is a, just a big problem. And it's a problem that I have sometimes, and I think a problem we see in this generation quite often. And let me read the verses, the verse here. I'm sorry, I got the wrong verse there. Wherefore kick, wherefore, kick ye at my sacrifices and mine offerings, which I have commanded in my habitation. Okay, I want to read, that, read this again. Yeah, this is the verse. Wherefore, kick ye at my sacrifices and mine offerings, which I have commanded in my habitation, and abhorst thou thy sons above me, and make yourself fat with the chiefest of all the offerings of Israel's people. Um, the NIV says, Why do you honor your sons more than me? Is anybody pricked a little bit when you read that? Do we do that? Do we honor our children above God? That was the problem. Now, we should love our children. We should hold them. We should really do everything we can to raise them right and to love them and to respect and, and to, yeah, just to hold them up maybe. But once we hold them higher than God, we got a problem. And believe me, that's a temptation for today. That's a temptation 2,000 years or 4,000 years ago, whenever it was. And it caused a problem. Okay, let's go to Psalm 78 now, and we'll get into our um, text today. So what do we do as parents? How do we pass on these things to the next generation? And I, again, I just want to make this clear. This is not just for us as parents. How do we pass? It's one of the most important things we possibly can do is to pass on biblical values to the next generation, to the next generation, the next generation, the next generation. We want, till Christ to come back, those biblical values to continue. We want the church of Christ to continue. Um, so we have a job. We have a responsibility. Our children are not our highest, our highest value. Passing on biblical values to them should be one of our highest um, values. So we've got two questions we probably already are thinking of. What are those values we should pass on? I'll get into that a bit. And how do we pass them on? Psalm 78. Here's the text. 
I believe answers all these questions. And I'm just going to give a background quickly to Psalm 78. Um, Psalm 78 was written by Asa. I don't know if you know much about Asa. I'll talk about him a little bit more later on. Um, and he wrote it in a parable form. It says that, verse 2. Um, I'm sorry. Yeah, verse 2. This is a parable. And if you ever read this psalm, it is actually the second longest psalm in the Bible, so I didn't get Matt to read the whole thing, which, Matt, thanks for making it interactive. That was really, yeah, I thought that was helpful. Um, we didn't read the whole thing, but the psalm is a psalm of Israel falling and God having mercy, well, God um, putting them into captivity and disciplining them and then bringing them back to himself, and then Israel falling again, and you know the story goes on and on and on and on and on. It's a whole chapter full of that story. They constantly forget God, and like it says in verse 8, they were stubborn and rebellious generations whose hearts were not loyal to God and whose spirit was not steadfast to God. What a messed up group of people. I mean... They just don't learn. It's just over and over and over again. We see the author reminding us of two things here. The story is our story, or should I say the story is my story. I am so much like the children of Israel. I don't know about you, but I can relate to them very well. Um, first of all, I get upset at them, then I also realize I am so much like them. I try to do well, and I'm doing well again, and then all of a sudden I'm falling back into the same thing um, that I did before. Second thing we see in this parable is God has time after time after time has mercy. Now, you think God was hard on the children of Israel. You just read this chapter closely and look at the mercy of God in this chapter. Look at verse 38. Wonderful verse for us. I am so glad for this verse. But he, began, but he being full of compassion, forgave their iniquity and destroyed them not. Yea, many a time turned he his anger away, and he did not stir up all his wrath. Brothers and sisters, aren't you glad that's our God? For my sake? For your sake? That's who he was with the children of Israel, and I believe who he is today. So our responsibility as parents and brothers and sisters in Christ is to pass on the lessons we have been taught. None of us want our children to, to learn the hard way. Um... We want the generations that go before us to be able to learn the lessons that we are learning today. So where do we start in passing on God's goodness and mercy, God's justice and truth to the next generation? How do we do this to a stubborn and rebellious generation, which I include myself in? And the answer is very simple. We go back to the Word of God. Look at verse 5. Um, God has spoken. If we want to know what to do, we need to go back to the Word of God. He has established a testimony in Jacob. John Piper says it this way, We begin here because this is absolutely basic. If God had not spoken, if he had not given us instructions about his will or testified about his work, then we are utterly adrift in a sea of confusion. Does that make sense? We don't need all the self-help books which I've tried and read, and I think probably most parents here know about that. We don't need all the ways of the world to teach us how to pass on godly biblical principles. We need the Word of God. And I know I've read, oh, as a parent, as a young married parent, I just, boy, I was going to get this right. I was a chief at camp yet on top of that, and I was not going to get this wrong as parenting. So I'd read all these books, and these books would just 
go from one book. This is the book to read this, uh, this week, and this is what my friends were reading, and this is how we were going to raise good children. I don't know why my parents just didn't laugh at me at that time and say, you know what, that's not really so good. Um, but I kept on picking up another book, and then I was going to get this right as a parent. And I didn't realize the Bible has got the answers. They're simple. It's, it, the problem is they, they are actually a little too simple, and we think there's got to be something better out there. So we go for other things. John Piper goes on to say, people who do not orient their lives on the testimony of God in Scripture cannot know what is good for them or for their children. They may have strong opinions about what is right or helpful, but those opinions will be based on what feels good or some cultural pressure or some human tradition or authority less than God. Brothers and sisters, we want to pass it on. We want to raise godly children, and we want to have a godly church, we need to go back to the Word of God. It's simple. It's basic. The Lord, the Word of God will give us the answers. And I know you've heard that before. I know you've heard that many times, but don't ever quit believing that. Verse 5 is just so clear there. For he established a testimony in Jacob. He appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers, that they should make them known to their children. So what is that law? Or what is that testimony? In Exodus 31, 18, it says, He gave unto Moses when he had made an end of the communing with him upon Mount Sinai, two tablets of testimony. So the testimony is, is the Ten Commandments. We say, well, that's a little too simple to try to raise a family with. Actually, it's not. The Word of God gives us what it needs. Um, and the testimonies are there. That is the law that he's talking about. That's what he says in verse 5. If you don't want to argue with me, don't look what God's saying there. He gave us a testimony. He gave us the law that we should be passing on to our children and to the next generation. Not all the other stuff. Might be partly good, but this we can depend on is right and good. Our faith and values start with the Word of God. We have to believe in the sufficiency in the Word of God. Someone once said, if we don't teach our children to follow Christ, the world will teach them not to. And this starts with teaching from the Word of God. God's Word is the basics for our lives and for the lives of our children. We begin here because this is absolutely basic. People who do not orient their lives on biblical principles cannot know what is good for them and for their children. They may have strong opinions about what is right or helpful, but those opinions will be based on feelings, on what feels good, or some cultural pressure, or some human tradition, or authority less than God. Most of us parents have read many books on child training, but there's nothing like just the Word of God to give us what we need. God has revealed His will to us today through the Word of God. He has established the testimonies and appointed a law. We need to understand and believe this. This, again, is very basic. It's first base in passing on to the, our children and to the generations to come. God not only gives us testimonies, but he gives us laws. He commands us to teach them to our children and pass them on. So God has given us a command. And why did he do that? So we know what to do. Now let's look at the command there, the, last, the next part of the verse. God has revealed his will for us and to our children through his word. Um, God has given us a command, so we know what to do. God's command is what in verse, in verse 5? Somebody. Keep you awake this morning. It's very basic again here. But he, okay, That's a command. 
I know I'm being hard on us, but that's what it says. We need to pass that on. And, and it's not just us parents, but you as a generation, we need to pass it on to the next generation. That's a command, something we cannot miss. It's one of the most important things we can do tomorrow and today and the next day and the next day and the next. In verse 5, he specifically tells us what to do. I'm telling you this because I know how easy it is for me to forget this part of my job. Look at Eli. And then look at Samuel. And then look at David. And then look at many, many other characters in the Bible. They didn't do so well. And why didn't they do so well? I don't know. I don't know them. I wasn't there to see it. But I know it's hard. And that's why I realized they didn't do well. I know this isn't going to happen just because, you know, um, just because we are good people. We're going to have to be specific with this. We're going to have to take the time to make sure this happens. If it was hard for Eli, and it was hard for Samuel, and it was hard for David, it probably would be hard for us today. But God commands us to do it. We need to do it. To pass on his revealed will to the next generation. The command is for our fathers to pass it on to their children. Notice it says our fathers, by the way, um, specifically. I know it's more than that, but I think specifically dads, we are responsible. This is why we were created, to glorify God and to pass on God's will to the next generation. But I'll say this. If we're not faithful in passing on our faith, someone else will. But it might not be to our children, and our children might lose out. The faith of God will get passed on from generation to generation, maybe not to our children. Maybe not to our grandchildren. They may lose out because of our responsibility. But if we don't, somebody else will. Why wouldn't we make us, why wouldn't we want our children to get that and our children's children and our children's children's children? God is telling and showing us how to pass on his goodness to the next generation. It is up to us to pass that on. So we know we are commanded. We know it's our responsibility. But what is our responsibility now? Let's go on. First thing we need, I believe there's two parts of our responsibility. First thing we need, we see in verse 1. Give ear, O my people, to my law of God, and incline thine ears to the words of, my, to the words of his mouth. This starts with listening to the word of God. We need to personally give ear. Personally, we need to be the ones to listen to the law of God. Now, that sounds good. But when you and I, or when I listen to the law of God, what, does I, what do I do? What, it, what automatically happens? I realize I come short. When I get into the God's word and start digging, I start reflecting and seeing I come short. And then I have a responsibility to repent. God wants us as parents or as, as people who are passing on to the next generation to become repentant people, to look into the word of God and let it change us. The parable, Psalm 78, this parable was given for a reason, a warning for us. We are like the children of Ephraim in verses 9 to 12. In order for us to pass on our faith, we need to repent of our unfaithfulness. One of the most powerful things we can do for the next generation is to show them our repentance, to show them our redemption. The second responsibility now is to not hide them from our children. Now, how do we not hide it? I think this is interesting. How do we do this? We do this by communicating, right? 
by talking. Um, I realize we can communicate by example, and that is very, very important, and I wouldn't want to take that away. If we don't communicate by example, we might as well forget the rest. But let's be honest. In order for our children to get it, they need to what? Hear it. That's simple, and that's basic. And moms, you are usually a little better at this than us dads, but I'm not going to take it away from dads either. We need to communicate with our children the words of God, the things of God, the stories of God. Uh, we'll talk about that some more. We need to communicate if we're going to pass on our faith and values. But what, will we, but what will we show to the generations to come? What should we be communication to, communicating to the next generation? Verse 4 gives this very clearly. Three things. Let's look at that. First thing in verse 4, let's, let's just read verse 4 there. And we will not hide them from our children. Okay? Communicate. Showing to the generations to come, the first thing is what? Somebody. Praises of the Lord. So how do we do that? Our children should hear us sing. They should hear us talk about God's wonderful works. This is paramount. This is fundamental. We need to be a person of praise. If we are grouchy old parents or grandparents or youth, nobody's going to want to follow. We need to have an attitude of praise for the one who created us, one who loved us, the one who gave us redemption. Um, are we those kind of people? If we're not, it is going to be very hard to pass on to the next generation. I think of the example of my dad. He wasn't um, the greatest communicator, but I remember one day, and this is uh, an example of communicating praise. Though. I remember one day we were in the cow stable, and my dad was whistling a tune. Well, that's nice. We always like when dads are whistling a tune, but it was raining that day, and he should have been whistling to him because it was raining. No, he shouldn't have been. There was 40 acres of hay laying, and I don't know if you remember that time period, but when there was 40 acres of hay laying and it was raining, there was a loss of a lot of money in crops. And my dad took a lot of pride in not having his hay get wet, and yet he was whistling that day a tune of praise. That impacted me. I was probably eight years old. I'll never forget that day. Um, that is passing on um, the praises of the Lord. Next one it says... We should pass on is what? The strength of the Lord, verse 4. Um, the praises of the Lord and his strength. So how do we do that? Do our children believe God is all-powerful and full of strength? Do they believe God will and can pull them through any problem that arises? And how do they, if they don't, we haven't communicated it. If they do, we probably talked about it. We've probably given them stories of God being strong and powerful in our lives. We've, they probably heard the stories of, of many of great missionaries or even personal stories of God being strong in hard times or any time. Do they understand that God is in control and we can depend on him to defend and protect us? Do they find security in an all-powerful God? Do they believe God is a God of strength and will someday make everything right again? If they do, we've been communicating it. We've passed it on to them um, by communicating. We've been talking about God and what powerful things he has done. Yes we have, to, yes, we have been communicating this by our faith and action, but we've also been communicating it by words. If our children or if the next generation will believe that God is a God of strength, it's because we communicated it. It's because we passed it on. And the next one is the wonderful works of the Lord. 
Here's the next thing to communicate. Here's the next thing to pass on. Have our children heard of some of the great things God has done? Have they heard of some of the great things God has done in our lives? Are we storytellers to our children? Um, again, I think some of you know my mom. She's quite a storyteller, and I've been blessed by that. We need to pass on the great acts of God. And it's not okay just to be a storyteller, but be a storyteller of the great acts of God in our lives. Isn't that what the Bible is? Stories of the great acts of God. So why did God do it? Why did, why did God take the time to get all these authors together to write the stories? And why, why do we have that Bible before us today? Because it's powerful. The stories of God are powerful. They are what will pass on the values to the next generation. I want to do this for my children. I want to be able to tell them of the great works of God in my life and the lives of others. This is exactly what Asa was doing in Psalm 78. Exactly what he was doing. And these stories, he was relating to his children and to the, to the children of Israel. And by the way, don't just do it for your children. Do it for your church's children. Do it for people around you. Give them the stories. Tell them the stories of the great power and acts of God. We communicate by stories because this is how God communicates, which I just mentioned already. Verses 1 to 4. So we can pass them on to our children. Stories are the, some of the best ways to pass on the values to others. There are three stories here in the first uh, in the chapter in chapter 78 that I want to talk about. And you see, God probably won't speak to our generation in an audible voice like He did um, to children of Israel, or, or like, or He probably won't even, or we won't get the chance to see Jesus here on earth. Like I say, we won't get a chance. Maybe in a different way, but we won't. We probably won't get a chance to walk with Jesus like they did 2,000 years ago and hear his stories, but we can get the stories from the Word of God and pass them on. We not only have the stories in the Word of God, but hopefully we have, have our own stories. We probably won't see miracles, but hopefully we have stories about Jesus and the many things he did in our lives. Not only may we hear about these stories of the great men of faith in the Bible, but we hopefully will hear these stories from our parents and our grandparents, the stories that impacted and changed us, stories of redemption, but this verse also says that not only did he give testimonies, but he gave the law to he gave the testimonies to Israel, but a law to Israel. We also need to tell our children about the law. Now, stories are, are great things to tell them about, but the law is the next thing we need to talk about. Are we telling them about the structure of the law? Are we telling them what's in here? Are we telling them about what's going to happen if you don't follow the word of God? Um, and maybe that's part of our stories too. Um, we can bring our stories in with the word of God and teach. Um, our children. It is our responsibility to pass on these laws and structures to the next generation. Let's look at the three stories we find in this chapter. The first story is Israel's story, and that's what the whole chapter is about. Um, sorry. The whole chapter is about Israel. Throughout the Bible, we hear so much of Israel's story, so much that after a while it becomes a little repetitious. God was determined we can learn from these stories. They are there for a reason, and that reason is so we don't repeat them. We understand that? We've hear, heard these stories, and they all sound the same. The stories of children of Israel just sound so repetitious, so much so that we kind of think there's got to be something better than that. But why are they there? Somebody. Why are they there? Just for a good story? So we can learn and not repeat history. So we can learn and not repeat history. I had a sad conversation with a friend of mine one time, and, and he didn't think history is very important. Well, that's kind of a hard, bad thing to tell me, but anyway, if you know me, how much I enjoy history. Um, but 
I just said if we don't follow history, read, study history, we're going to repeat it. And unfortunately, that is, became the truth in his life. We, we really do need to study this history book, the best history book possible. And there is so much for us to learn. If we don't, we will repeat. Um, and our children will repeat. Second story we have here is Asa's story. Many great men of faith have not passed on the testimonies of their children. But Asa has a beautiful story. I'm, not, I'm going to take it outside of Psalm 78 and just look at who Asa was. Asa and his children are mentioned many times in the Old Testament. He was very faithful in passing on his faith. In fact, he is mentioned about his children and his ancestors are mentioned probably 10 different times in the Old Testament. Now listen to the story of Asa. Asa did something right to pass it on. I don't know how he did it. The Lord was with him. He must have been a humble man, but I think he is a story of a man who passed on to the gen his generation and generation to come. As a young man, Asa ministered at the tabernacle of the Levites when David captured the Ark of the Covenant and returned to Jerusalem. Later on, I'm just going to tell you the story of Asa and his generation. Later on, Asa was e elevated from the cymbal player to the chief musician. I think some of us probably know that. When David assembled our other musicians for worship in the tent of meeting, he chose some of the sons of Asa. Ain't that neat? His boy Asa, and then his sons. So he got his sons involved. So his sons were doing what dad did. Asa faithfully taught, instructed, and ministered with his sons and others, who in turn did the same to their sons, who in turn taught their sons, and on down the line from generations to come. Now listen to this. About 100 years later, King Jehoshaphat prayed for protection against the invading armies and received a prophetic word given by Jeziel. 2 Corinthians, 2 Chronicles 20.14 one of the sons of Asa, okay? It's 100 years later. That meant things were being passed on. 140 years after that, during Hezekiah, the king, the sons of Asa were among the Levites who cleansed and consecrated the temple so, God, so worship, to worship God could be restored. 140 years after that. 80 years after that, after the great apostasy, the book of the law was found King Josiah wanted to celebrate Passover again. The singers turned out to be, guess who? The sons of Asa. When the Israelites returned to Jerusalem from captivity, and we keep on going here, in Babylon, in Babylon, nearly 400 years after the dedication of the temple, Ezra recorded that the numbered in exile included 148 singers of the sons of Asa. And when the foundation of the temple was laid, once again, the sons of Asa led worship. I believe Asa and his descendants were purposeful and intentional passing on their faith, and their focus was unmistakable. God is good for his steadfast love endures forever. They took seriously the command to proclaim the truth to the next generation. Brothers and sisters, if we can be like Asa, we have accomplished way more than almost any other character in the Bible. That's amazing. That's an incredible story. Our story should be the other part of this here. The last part of the message, I'd like to look at um, God's plan. I'm not going to get into our story. I think we talked about that a bit. And I'm going to get to the last part of the message. God has given us a plan or a method for teaching our children. 
I don't have a whole lot of time, but I want to give us this plan. It's very simple. It's very basic. It's found in verses 6 to 7, and you can turn with me to those verses. God has given us a plan in teaching our children, so we know how to pass on God's values to our children and to the next generation. God is not just a random God. He has a method for us as parents, um, even though it's simple, and even though a lot of people think it's too simple, not good enough, so we have to get other, other books in raising our children and teaching our children. But God has a specific plan, and you'll find that in verses 6 to 7. First one, if we look at verse 6, we can clearly see God's plan. The first one is in verse 6, that they may have the knowledge of God, that the next generation might know. It starts with the knowledge of God. And you say, well, you need more than that. Yeah, we'll get to that part. But it starts there, and we can't skip that part of it. I think it's right to prize love for God. I think it's right to prize the love for God above the knowledge of God. The Bible even says the devils have knowledge of God and tremble. I like what John Piper says. What a tragedy when we see the pride that knowledge can bring and then draw a wrong conclusion that the best way to inspire love of God is to somehow take a detour from knowledge. Brothers and sisters, we need knowledge of God. We need to have people in our church who love the Word and study the Word and get into the Word and get into the knowledge of God. In fact, if you don't have knowledge, you'll never come to the hope of God, which is the next part. Um, Yes, we need theology. We need to know what we believe. We need to know the truth and the Word of God. They need... they, our children or next generation needs to know about creation. Yes, eschatology, the headship covering, nonconformity, the principles of grace. They need to understand salvation in the cross. Yes, we need to know about God if we are going to love God. And we can't do, take that detour away from knowledge. And I think, well, it's clear here. We need the knowledge of God. We can't love God without a good knowledge of God. We love God because of what we know of him, or our love may also be just emotionalism. First task in educating our children or passing on to our children is to impact a genuine knowledge of the testimony and law of God. The next generation, so the next generation might know him. Now I know we don't give our children this knowledge by sending them to schools that teach them to despise the word of God or maybe even worse schools that teach the word of God but teach it in a wrong way, in a deceptive way. I realize that. We want our children to get the knowledge, but be careful who teaches them. I heard an interesting thing said, and I don't know time to repeat this, but my brother said that there was three um, liberal theologians or liberal um, professors said, I really, and one professor said, I have a real hard time with... um, these conservatives, they have big families, and the liberals have small families, and there's just going to be more and more and more conservative people, and after a while, the United States will just have good Christian conservative people. And the other professor said, ah, no worries. He said, they come, they come with their minivans, and they drop their children off at our, at our colleges, and we teach them what we need to teach them. That's scary, and that's exactly what happens. We need to know who is instilling knowledge into the next generation. We need to be involved in that knowledge, and that knowledge needs to come here. But knowledge to our children is very important. That is the first one. This is the goal of all godly parents, is to have children have, the, <clears throat> have their hope in God. Um, and the second one is, in verse 7, is that they might find their hope in God. That they might have the knowledge of God. And then verse 7, that they may put their hope in God. And this is a change of heart. 
okay? Knowledge without a change of heart is worthless, but knowledge should bring us to a change of heart. Um, Second aim of education or second aim in passing on to the next generation should be that the children come to put their hope in God. Verse 6 goes on to say that the next generation might know them and the children yet unborn arise and tell them to their children so that they should set their hope in God. That's a change of heart. Knowledge should lead to hope. What goes into head should make a change of heart. If one person errs in educating by saying knowledge is not the main thing, you have other people erring and saying it just takes knowledge. Knowledge is all it takes. We don't need to change the heart. We do need to help our children change their hearts. The word of God is very clear. The aim of all families and churches is to teach the truth in such a way that young people will come to love it and put their hope in God. Changed hearts should be our goal, not just more knowledge. The aim is that they might set their hope in God. But it doesn't stop at that. Let's look at verse 7b. What else needs to happen? Keep his commandments. They need to have the knowledge. They need to have a hope in God. And they need to learn to obey God. Has to happen. Our third aim should be obedience. Verse 7 goes on to say that so they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. And you say, well, that's, everybody knows that. Do they? Is that really? Does obedience matter? We live in, in a society of Christianity where obedience doesn't really matter. And that's a problem. Our job in teaching the next generation has to do with our young people. It has to do with our young people act as well as what they feel. It has to do with passing on how the next generation acts as much as how they just feel good. We have not succeeded in our God-given responsibility as if our children or if the next generation are full of true thoughts, but their behavior is contrary to the word of God. Not worth a whole lot. That's why pure hope in God is essential. I like how it says in 1 John 3, 3, 3, 3 everyone who thus hopes in Christ purifies himself even as he is pure. I might say it this way. If they're not obeying the word of God, it's just a warning sign that their hope is probably not in God, but in the world around them. Our job is to pass on godly values to the next generations. It starts with teaching the truth, knowledge of God, helping them put their hope in God, and expecting them to obey life of obedience to God. So in conclusion, I'd like to ask us this question. Do you have a plan to pass on God's values to the next generation? A plan to import the next generation in knowledge of scripture, knowledge of doctrine, a knowledge that will help them be firm? When they face grief and pain and pleasure and materialism, will your plan be strong? Will the next generation have what it takes? Will their faith prevail? When the world offers them many pleasures and desires and the devil tries to deceive them with all kinds of counterfeits, will your plan work? I know that's sobering. And I know our children are still, and the next generation, still have to make choices. We can't do everything for them. But do we have a plan? Are we thinking about this? Isn't this one of the most important things in our lives, to pass it on?
And not so our children look good and we look good. That's not the point at all. If that's the point, we're going to fail so miserably. That's thinking more of us than God. But because we care about the next generation receiving the biblical values, because we care about God enough that we want to pass it on. Next question I have, which may be even a more sober question, what in your life is more important than passing on to the next generation the faith you have been given? It's for all of us. It's for youth. It's for all of us. We should be thinking about this. This should be one of the biggest goals for our church, a desire to pass on what we've been given. Isn't it very selfish if we love what we have in Christ and what we've been given and we don't do anything to pass it on to the next generation? Isn't that selfish? And we see that so often. We love the Lord. I think it was Eli. Great man, godly man. He actually helped Samuel out. But he didn't pass it on to his sons and to the next generation. But how do we do it? We need to plan and be proactive. It won't just happen. Remember, Satan will do everything to distract us from this. He cares about the next generation. We know God's plan is going to be there to the end. But we also know Satan is going to try to distract this church, this generation, this community from getting the biblical truth, from making the mistakes Satan would just love to see them make all the mistakes of the children of Israel. But how do we do it? Are we taking the time to tell the next generation our stories? Are we taking the time to communicate? Communication takes time. You know that? I think we know that. But do we stop enough to communicate to our children and to the next generation? Are we taking the time every day to sing a verse? Are we taking the time to spend time reading scripture to our children? Draw out lesson, life lessons for our children? Are we asking them them hard questions? If we're not, we're probably too busy. And I'm the first one to admit this is hard. But it's important. How are we doing? Never, let's never forget to take the time to point the next generation to the Word of God. Let's kneel together for prayer.